God, that's our prayer. Amen. Well, Karen and I are just, again, so thrilled to be back. And on these trips we've had here in the last couple months, one of the things we've learned is actually going to help me and help us today get started in uh, delving into Daniel's chapter 1 through 6. One of the things we learned from being in Scotland and then Romania and well as Arizona with the uh, facility team is that when you put yourself somewhere, you need to take a little bit of time to grasp the context of where you are. Uh, you get there and it's kind of like, okay, I have to like set my head on where I'm actually at. And so as a church, over these next 12 Sundays, we are going to be, if you will, living in 605 BC in Babylon. And so if we're going to be there, we need to, if you will, take a day and come to understand where we're going to be, all right? So today is kind of a little bit different in that it's introductory setting ourselves for where these coming weeks are going to be. Because listen, when we approach the Word of God, we don't want to just approach it willy-nilly and just kind of like, I think that's where we're going. Uh, We actually want to understand where we're at, understand context, so we can mine it for all it's worth while we're there in the historical reality of it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start out, and we're going to talk about four, I'll call them, about the book items. Okay, so four about the book items. Then after that, we're going to get into the history behind the book. And I love the history behind it. In fact, we are going to go so far back into the history behind it that we're going to start at creation. And we'll get out on time. Okay? All right, here we go. Four about the book items. Number one, where is the book of Daniel located? Where is it located? Well, here's what I want for you to do. I want everybody to grab your Bible. Okay, we're big about the Bible. We're big about you having one. If you don't have one, we've got some people coming around with one. We want for you to to use that. Uh, Also, go to the contents page. Go to the very front. If you're one of those where it's like, I know where the book of Daniel's at, go to the contents page. Okay? Because one of the things I love here is the fact that we have a lot of people here where the Bible is a new thing in their life. And I love that reality. And not only that, we have a lot of people who've been to church a lot of their life and still don't know how a lot of this stuff fits together. So this is going to help all of us, I think, as we set some of these contexts. But where is the book of Daniel located? Well, as you look at, there's an Old Testament section of the Bible, New Testament section. The Old Testament section of our Bible that we have is grouped into three sections. Okay, three sections. How many? Now, here's the three sections, because I know you're dying to know what those are. There's the historical section of the books. There's 17 in the Old Testament that are historical uh, in nature. So probably what kind of thing do they talk about? History kind of stuff, okay? History about the people of Israel from creation on through. Then the middle section, which is kind of in the middle part of your Bible, there's five books. They're called the poetic books, okay? Then we get to the latter 17 books, and those are the prophetic books. So what kind of things does those books probably talk about? 
prophecy kind of items, things in the future of what's taking place. Now, in the prophetic section, there's actually two subcategories. There's the major prophets. Those are kind of in this lighter purple. And then there are the minor prophets. Now, um, if you're writing a book and God, uh, you know, was inspi- you know, you were inspired, God was breathing his words through you, and you get placed in the minor section of the prophets. It's like, I'm a minor guy, you know, like, eh, wimpy. That's not what we're talking about here. The reason they call them major is because they're longer. I mean, that's the reason, okay? It's not like they're more important than the minor. It's literally, when you look at, like, Isaiah has a lot of chapters. Jeremiah, a lot. So it's more like if you want to do some major reading, go to the major prophets. If you have a minor amount of time, go to the minor prophets, something like that. Okay, now the part of the point here is, is that these are ordered by type, not by chronology, not by chronology. Now, when you look here, you see this is chronology. It's kind of like, whoa, craziness, all right? These are the books kind of placed in the order of time when they were written. These are not, I do not have all the Old Testament books up here, okay? We're going to be seeing some more of this a little bit later on when we talk about history. But you can see over here, Daniel is written at this time around 605 BC, the latter 500 period of time in the period of the exile. You'll come to understand what that's all about here in a little bit. But this is where the book of Daniel is located, So the book of Daniel is located in the major prophet section of your Bible. So class, what part of your Bible is the book of Daniel located in? A, okay, smiley face. Okay, next question comes in. So is Daniel, since it's in the major prophet section, is Daniel prophecy literature? Well, you may be going, duh, but it's actually yes and no. It's yes and no. Yes, Daniel contains prophetic, apocalyptic type of writing. It talks about things in the future from that time ahead, as well as things that still have yet to come. That's pretty cool. It does talk about prophecy things, but the first six chapters of Daniel, while it even contains some prophetic uh, uh, information, it's mainly historical information. Now, please understand that the... The, the, the original text was inspired from God. It's God breathed, put through men, penned down. The chapter breaks, the verse breaks. Where it's put in your Bible is not inspired. There are Bibles out there that are chronological. They're really good for reading. Okay, they're really good for that. Now, I'll give you an example. The Tanakh. This is actually a, a Jewish translation of the Old Testament. It's really, it's the exact same books that we have in ours. And it's a great resource. It's great for reading. And it brings in some of, in some of the words, they just bring in some really cool Jewish feel and understanding on some of the translation that some of our translations kind of lose, frankly, a little bit. Now in this, the Tanakh is actually ordered differently. Like we have three sections in our Bible. It has three sections in it. However, the first one is called the Torah. It's the five books of Moses, okay? Then the next section is called the Nevi'im. It's the prophets. It's the writings of the prophets. And in fact, they have five major, 12 minor. We're talking about placement. This is not inspired. 
okay? Now, in the third section is the Kethuvim, or the writings. So if, if it's not written by Moses, and it's not a, a book of prophecy, then it goes in here. In other words, the Psalms are there. And guess what? Daniel is there. Now, why wouldn't Daniel be in the Kethuvim section, the prophecy section? Here's why. Because they understand that it has prophetic writing in it, prophecy genre, but it also has history genre. So they put it in the one because it's not quite exactly fitting with the others. The point being this, when you take a look and when we read it, we are reading and the place we're going to be is mostly historical information, okay, containing prophecy, but especially the latter part is about prophecy stuff. Okay, so the type of literature that it is, it's historical and we'll call it prophetic apocalyptic. And if you're like, I have no idea from there what that means, that's okay. Just go home and say prophetic apocalyptic as many times as you want. Okay, let's keep going. Number three, who wrote it and when? Who wrote it? Well, hold on. Let's do a little quiz. Who wrote Isaiah? Isaiah. Uh, How about Jeremiah? How about Haggai? Okay, got a fewer there. Uh, How about the Gospel of Mark? Okay, how about Genesis? Now, I would say, the way you've been following, I would say Mr. Jen or Mrs. or Ms. Jen. Uh, It's Genesis because so far all those names have been the name of the person who's right. Well, Genesis is written by Moses. Esther. Esther had to be written by Esther. And no, it wasn't. It was about Esther. How about Titus? Titus had to be written by Titus. No, it was written by the Apostle Paul to Titus. What's the point? Uh, The title, and this is just helping some who are new in the Bible, the title doesn't necessarily mean that's the author. So here's the big million-dollar question. Who wrote the book of Daniel? Well, it depends where you come from. What do you mean? Here's what I mean, just straight up. What I mean is that if you believe that God cannot do miracles and that God cannot see the future and give prophecy, then you will take the position like many liberal theologians will call them do. And that is they take the position that Daniel was written in the second century BC. It was written by an anonymous Jewish man who was a ghostwriter using the fictitious name Daniel. And he was telling non-historical court tales or legends. And he was also giving pseudo-prophecies, all for, the region of, all for the reason of encouraging the Jews who at that time in 2nd century BC were struggling against Antiochus Epiphanes. Major problem with that. So if you ever go and you pick up a commentary about Daniel and it says in there that Daniel was written in the 2nd century BC, take that commentary and don't buy it. Okay? Because here's the deal. I believe from the scriptures that God is like God. And God can do miracles. And God knows what's going on. And God can give prophecy. I'm telling you, that's really the main thing what it comes down to. And I just bring that out. This is kind of an academic detail. But I do want to bring this out again as a church, folks, for us to understand that the word of God has sought to be made not the words of God for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. 
But listen, it is the word of God, okay? And this is written by Daniel in history in 6th century BC. This is, go figure this. The guy Daniel, he actually was named Daniel. And he lived at this period of time. That's when it was written, okay? You with me? Okay. Some location. It's located in the major prophets section of your Bible. The literature is, is historical, prophetic, apocalyptic material. The author is Daniel in the 6th century B.C., writing in the likely in the last decade of his life, telling of the events that took place from 6, 605 B.C. to the towards the end of the 500s B.C., okay? Final tidbit, some language for you grammar, grammarians. It's very interesting when you read Daniel in this. The first portion of Daniel is uh, written in Hebrew. In fact, chapter 1 to verse 2, chapter 2, verse 4 is written in Hebrew. Then it's written in Aramaic through chapter 7. Then chapter 8 to the end is written in Hebrew. Was he like schizophrenic? (laughs) What was going on here? No, it's really quite interesting. Hebrew was Daniel's native tongue. Daniel was a Jew. Daniel spoke Hebrew as a boy. But for all of his life in Babylon, as we'll learn about here in a bit, he spoke Aramaic. And so speaking Hebrew, when the very first chapter and the end of Daniel is driven at specifically for Jews to be able to really grasp a hold and understand. The center section is written in Aramaic. It's like today. English is the business language of the world. Been to Tokyo, been to places when everybody at conferences, they speak English as a business language. Aramaic was the situation of the day. So in the center section here, in fact, most of the section we're going to be in, Daniel is speaking Aramaic in the originally inspired language for the purpose of, in other words, not just Jews, but the whole world, all the Gentiles, us, that we understand what's going on, especially in that day. Okay? Just some tidbits there. Those are the four about the book items. Is that not exciting? Okay? All right, now we, now we go to the fun stuff. We go to history. Here's what I want for you to do. In the context page of your Bible, uh, what is the page number where Daniel is at? Tell me. Someone had 93? Oh, I was like, man, dude, Royce, where'd you get that? Okay, turn there. Uh, most are in 700s. Unless you have like a large edition, uh, Bible will be later. But turn to Daniel chapter 1. And I want to kind of turn to some history here where we'll be spending the rest of our time. Why? Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, when you and I read that, it's like, la, 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 right? It's just kind of like, okay, we're talking about Jehoiakim, feel sorry for that guy spelling that name. Judah, where's that? Nebuchadnezzar, really feeling sorry for him on that one. Babylon, I've heard of that before, but like where it came to Jerusalem and took war going on. Now listen, right now for you, it's probably like, this doesn't mean a whole lot. It needs to mean a lot. So we're going to take some time to understand. 
and it needs to mean a lot because if we're really going to understand, starting next week, the choices and the reality of life for Daniel and his buds, we need to understand this. So let's do some history. Here we go. I'm going to try and not make history dry and dead. And we're going to go back to creation. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay? Adam and Eve. Now, this is a satellite image with modern-day borders, just so you can kind of see in this uh, uh, Middle East section of the world what's going on. Adam and Eve were created by God, but we find out shortly after creation or sometime here after creation that Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They sinned. And as a result of their sin, God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. And we begin a point in time in the history of God and mankind's relationship where we become separated from our creator because of sin, the creation. Then Abraham, sometime later, is chosen by God as a founding father, if you will. And he is chosen by God to father a people that will represent God to the world. Imagine that. God just shows up one day, and it's like, I picked you, and I want for you to start a nation. And you're going to be a nation of people of mine. Okay. But Abraham takes God as his word, and he begins and he goes to the land of Canaan. Abram and Sarah go, and they then have Isaac. A hundred years old, they have Isaac. Can God do miracles? I vote yes. Isaac has Esau and Jacob. Dysfunctional family. Jacob has Joseph. Dysfunctional family. Joseph is sold by his brothers into slavery, and Joseph goes to Egypt. You know, so far in this plan of God, this is really working well. I mean, here he is, he has a kid and it's going, and he ends up going to Egypt, sold as a slave. We're about four generations down from the original, and it's kind of like, <laughs> God, you really know what you're doing or not? So he's in Egypt. It's 1446 B.C., and Moses delivers the Israelites from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And he takes them on this 40-year tour. This is the actual swalking path that they went on. No, it's not. This is just a representation of literally, why then did they just not like go from there to the promised land? Because they sinned before God with idolatry. Oh, by the way, back to Adam and Eve. You see Eve, you see Adam. If you eat this, you will be like God. You see, all the way back in the Garden of Eden, it was all about idolatry. I want that. I want to worship that. And then here again, Moses is up on the mountain. Hey, I know. I've got a real brainiac idea. Hey, let's take all our gold and let's like make a calf and worship it. After God had just sometime earlier, parted the sea and brought him out and killed the Egyptian people. And it's like, oh my word, 
Here we are back at idolatry. God there then gives them his guidelines. He gives them the guidelines for what spiritual life is supposed to look like. He gives the nation wandering around there. He gives them guidelines for what their governance should look like. He even gives them guidelines on what their social lives should live like. I'm not talking about going to the movies. I'm talking about as a people together. In fact, here's what I'd like for us to do. To hang a big left to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And I'd like for us to take a look at the covenant or we could say the constitution kind of we have a constitution that's set in place that helps us to understand how we're to function as a country let's go to the constitution that god put into place with his people and i'm going to go to deuteronomy 28 because i think there's a couple areas that just sum it up really well here for us deuteronomy 28 here's the covenant deal that he set up look at this starting in verse 1 God is speaking, and he says, and if you, by the way, if is conditional. That means if you do something, then this will take place. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on the earth. I'm liking this. Verse 2, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Look at this. Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be, shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle. This is an agricultural world. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Verse 5, blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. I'm liking like, rock on, God. I'm on this plan. If we obey, God says that he will bless. No, this is a covenant promise to his chosen people. Now, if it stopped right there, it's like, cool. But you see, God's just so straight up about things. God doesn't want to leave things like a mystery, like, come and find me, and I'm going to make it really hard for you to know what I'm about. Because he continues on, and he gives the but. Uh, verse 15, but if, and this is conditional, not guaranteed, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtaking you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be your baskets and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. Wow, God, you're like mad. No, he's not. God is just saying, listen, I want to let his nation know at the time. I just want for you to know, listen, if you choose to follow this path, Here's the stuff I promise you will get. If you choose to follow this path, I promise this is the result you will get. Any questions? I mean, I just say this. Thank you, God, for being so clear about the reality of what life is supposed to be about with your nation. You're not playing a game. You're not like, look at those fools. <laughs> That's not what's going on. A holy God of the universe is communicating to his nation. Listen, I'm just telling you. 
If you do this, you will be blessed. If you choose, you have the choice. If you choose, I just want for you to know what's coming. Okay? That's really what's taking place here. I love, again, the fact God's straight up. I love that. It's also a little bit scary. But it's also awesome. God desires to bless. Hmm. So, that's in the wilderness. Moses dies. It's 1406 B.C. And Joshua then leads the Israelites in the conquest of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they fill the land. The judges, it's 1375 B.C., the period of the judges. Now, the judges are not like the Supreme Court dudes. The, the judges are actually more like the president, prime minister. They're the ruler of the kingdom of the nation at the time, okay? And uh, one of them that is pretty famous is Samson. Uh, the judges governed the nation poorly. And in fact, this 400-year period of time was basically uh, a, a period of time where the leaders and the people were just outright rebellious to God. Now, here's a question. God had said back here, like in 1440-ish BC, that if you go this way, I will bless you. If you go this way, I will curse you. And Doug, you've just said, we've now come to this time where 400 years of time where they've been in outright rebellion with God, and I'm not seeing no cursing happen on them. Did God forget? Like, what's the deal? Now, think about this. During this period of time, this means that there were people that were born, lived in rebellion, died, and never saw Deuteronomy 28 of the cursing come on their life. Kind of like, <laughs> I got to be rebellious to God all my life. I kind of got away with it. No. But that's the reality. For many of them, as time goes on, it's like, God ain't doing nothing. Apparently he forgot. Apparently he's asleep at the wheel. May I also remind us that during this time, there were people who were living righteously, not perfect, but righteous by faith, living for the Lord. And in the entire time of their life, when they were born, and then as they lived through, and then they died, that entire period of time, there had to be people that were like, God, Deuteronomy 28 them. Where are you? You know, look at this nation. I'm following you faithfully. I, it's not an arrogance thing. It's just a reality. Where are you? It's been 400 years of rebellion. Can I say this? Okay, I will. I am so grateful for God's long-suffering. Because at any point in time, God would have been completely holy, right, and just to have, not you guys, but just brought the curse on them at any point of time. And yet God in his long suffering, I'm just grateful for his grace. But we're going to see, God is not asleep at the wheel. The conquest, the judges. 
We now come to 1050 BC. Saul is made king. Saul is king, and then Saul goes off the deep Greek end and is rejected. Then a shepherd boy, David, is selected by the prophet Samuel to replace Saul. Saul is still king. David is told he's going to be king of Israel. He's a shepherd boy. There's a whole lot of Harvard and background in that guy. He's a shepherd boy. And he's told he's going to be king of Israel. He's not king of Israel for 15 years from then. Can you imagine being told, hey, I want for you to know you're in president of the United States. Oh, uh, P.S., not for 15 years. You'd be like, dude, why did you tell me? Uh, but yet God is working in the time. It's God's timing. God's the ruler. David becomes king in 1010 B.C. 40 years later, 970 B.C., his son Solomon takes the throne. The kingdom expands. The temple is built. It's the zenith of Israel's kingdom. And then Solomon, like so many others, began his kingly slow fade into sin and unfaithfulness. After his death, a new king takes over. It's 930 B.C., and the northern tribes revolt, forming two separate kingdoms. There's the northern kingdom called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. During this time, it's decades of mostly wicked leaders, mostly idolatrous kings. But there are a few prophets warning and calling the nation back. Let's go to Isaiah 39. And let's just hear as an example from one of them. Here's Isaiah. Isaiah 39, verses 5 through 7. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming, prophecy, when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. That hasn't happened yet. But it's already being foretold. Why? Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Can you say Daniel and his three peeps? I just want to let you know, during these times, all through this time, all through this period of time, a long-suffering God in the highs and the low, through it all, is calling his people back. His prophets are coming and saying, listen, return, return. And Isaiah gets to the point where it ends up. He is, in essence, declaring God's judgment is about to come. Deuteronomy 28. Turn to 2 Kings chapter 17. A bit to the left. 2 Kings chapter 17. In 722 BC, the northern kingdom, Israel, falls to Assyria. The northern kingdom falls to Assyria. Let's listen to uh, Chris, why don't you go to that next slide? Thank you. The fall of Israel, 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 6. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and he carried the Israelites away to Assyria and placed them in Halah and on the harbor, the river of Gazan, and on the city of the Medes. 
And this occurred because the people of God had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt. Isn't that interesting? God remembers his word. God remembers his covenant. God remembers his constitution that he put in place. All the way back at the time of Egypt, and they're coming out, and he gives it to them hundreds of years. Please understand, we are almost a thousand years later. And God is bringing judgment on the northern kingdom. Let me keep reading. Verse 8, And he walked in the customs of the nations whom the Lord drove out from from before the people of Israel and in the customs that the kings of Israel had practiced. And the people of Israel, verse 9, did secretly against the Lord their God the things that were not right. They built for themselves high places in all their towns from watchtower to fortified city. They set up for themselves pillars and ashram, basically idolatry, uh, down towards the end of verse 11. And they did wicked things, provoking the Lord to anger. It's been nearly a thousand years, and God has been so patient. And yet it's gotten to a point where literally God's anger, God's judgment is being provoked. How long will God put up with this? That's God's choice. Verse 12, and they served idols of which the Lord had said to them, you shall not do this. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, turn from your evil ways, keep my commands and my statutes in accordance with all the law that I commanded your fathers and that I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. But they would not listen, but were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe in the Lord their God. God, whatever. You're out there doing your thing. I'm here doing my thing. And I think frankly, you're irrelevant to my life. I want to be your Lord. I want to do what I want to do. I want to think what I want to think. And I want to be what I want to be. And God, get on my boat. Sounds kind of hellfire and brimstone, doesn't it? But I just want to bring back the reality. My, do we understand this or what? I just want to say, folks, where are you at? Where are you at? God, (laughs) you do your thing. I'm doing my thing. God loves. God's just going to take care of it all. If that's the case, that is one pathetic God. What a wimp. But yet I'm going to be just straight up with you. How often, day in and day out, do my actions actually show that thinking? This is hurting too much. Northern Kingdom Falls in 605 B.C. 
Babylon invades Judah, led by King Nebuchadnezzar, sets Babylon as the new world power. The land of the south, including Judah, lay exposed, and it's just an easy takeover. And the first siege of Judah includes the start of the scattering of the Jews. The northern tribe Israel had already been scattered by Assyria. Now the southern tribe Judah is scattered by the Babylonians. And there is no more nation of God's people literally on the map. Why? Because God's long-suffering came to who he also is, the ruler judge. And he brought judgment on his people. Nebuchadnezzar takes over Jehoiakim, the wicked king of Judah at the time, promises loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. Loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar? We're going to be seeing in the coming weeks. Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon was like the most idolatrous nation ever. And the king of Judah, supposed to be God's people, is giving loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, my word. Look, Daniel chapter 1, verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. Oh, I so hope now when you read that, now you have a better understanding of what's going on here. Jehoiakim. The last king of Judah, for all practical purposes. He could give a rip about God. He gives loyalty to Nebuchadnezzar, eventually punts on that. And so Nebuchadnezzar takes him out. And Babylon's wrath on the nation, and Nebuchadnezzar fully conquers Judah and Jerusalem in August of 586 B.C. And they pillage the wealth of Israel, including the temple artifacts. Oh, by the way, in the coming weeks, we're going to be reading a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. And we're going to be reading about how Nebuchadnezzar and the temple artifacts in the small G God temple in Babylon. Now you have some history behind all that. And God's nation, his chosen representative priest of the world is wiped off the mat. They're scattered. And this is the context of Daniel chapter 1. Now imagine, you're Daniel, a teen. I'm getting into next week. You're a teen, and uh, you're kidnapped. What are you thinking? Life didn't turn out the way I expected. This is a ripoff. I thought this was supposed to happen. How would I respond? Listen, this is why good theology drives living. Our theology drives how we live life. And look at here, verse 2, Daniel chapter 1. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, 
into Nebuchadnezzar's hands with some of the vessels of the house of God. Uh, understand, the word Lord here, it's Adonai. Why Adonai? He could have used Jehovah, he could have used Yahweh, he could have used various other words for God. Why Adonai? Because Adonai, it means the owner, the sovereign one. It means the ruler. So when Daniel's penning this, he's saying, and the ruler, God, gave Jehoiakim. What? NIV, it says, delivered Jehoiakim. Listen, do you understand this? Think about this week. God gave them over. Oh, you see, it was because Nebuchadnezzar was like this awesome studly dude, you know, when he did it. Yeah, he was. And yeah, his army was amazing. But please understand this. God, in a nanosecond, could have just gone and killed them all like he did other nations prior to that. And yet on this one, God wasn't standing back like, I'll just close my eye. That's not what's going on. God is literally there and he's like, time for judgment. Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, he is right at the table. He's not sitting back in the lazy boy feet kicked up, do whatever you guys want to do with your life. He is like right over the table and he is over the table. And he say, Nebuchadnezzar, it's time for you to come down and I, I'm giving them over because they have gone for nearly a thousand years of constant rebellion. And it's time for my judgment. Wow. Wow. Well, as we wrap it up, have you been wondering whether God's in control? <laughs> 9 11 yesterday. God must be just sitting back on a lazy boy or on a hammock, just letting all this ridiculousness just happen. Really doesn't care. No. Can I explain it? No. But God knows exactly what he's doing. And that's why I can't fully reason it. I can't fully explain it. You see, I only have a horizontal view of history and what's taking place. But God has the whole thing in picture. And by faith, I'm going to trust that he knows what he's doing. And God, I'm good with that. I may not even get it. Read the Psalms. I don't get it. But God, you're God. You're the ruler. I'm not. I'm living by faith. Who's in control? God is in control. But oh, don't we want to shove him off the seat and do what we want to do? So get that. That's why we're about helping each other. Can I bank on God's word for real? Yes. Yes. Because we see over the course of history that it may not happen in the years and the times where I think it should happen. But listen, God never forgets his word. And Christ said, I'm going to return. <laughs> It's been 2,000 years. Listen to me. If he isn't going to return, he's a liar. And therefore, he's not the Lord. And if he's not the Lord, I don't want to be worshiping him. But if he said he's coming back, you read the history. I guarantee this, based on what this says, not what I say, he's coming back. This is what faith is about. Who's in control? God is. Can I bank on his word? Yes, I can. Does God, ju does God judge sin? 
Yes, he does. But Doug, I have seen sin take place in me or around me for years, for my whole life, and I'm not seeing God judge sin. Listen, leave that to him. He'll do it in his time. It may not be here on earth. It may be afterwards. It may be on here, but I'm going to tell you, he's God. He is the judge. He will do it in his time. Our job is by faith to live in obedience to him. And may I remind us of this, Romans chapter 12, 2, verse 9 and 10. When you do what's right, you will be blessed. But there is distress and trial and tribulation for everyone who chooses to live a life of sin. Hey, a choice to sin is a choice to suffer. A choice to righteousness is a choice to be blessed. Oh, and by the way, God will determine the blessing and the timing of it. Okay? You may go through your entire life and feel like people back in the Old Testament. I've sought to live faithfully and I don't feel like I'm seeing any of this. He will. What's 50 years? 70 years? 100 years of life compared to eternity? It can be 50 years, 70 years, and 100 years of life of glory-giving investment to God's glory. And then, eternity, face-to-face. God and me and his people. Bring that one on. Hey, let's pray. God, I want to thank you so much just for, this is just uh, an introductory Sunday here, and yet um, history speaks. And today, um, the history that we've covered not only is intended to be able to help us as we progress ahead in these coming weeks and having just a base groundwork of which to work upon for better understanding uh, the book of Daniel here. But God, (laughs) history preaches. And it declares you. And Lord, it declares you as the ruler. And so by faith, we look to you. Fathers, there's so many applications I could be getting out of what we did today, but I'm just holding off until we get further into the text. But I do pray, may we be the kind of people that remember there is a God, there is a God that's in control, there is a God that is long-suffering, and yet as ruler, you also are the judge. And I pray that we would not be a people that are playing with you. Because judgment is coming. It's just a reality that I oftentimes don't even want to talk about. But it is. But we also remember that you are a God of love and long-suffering. God of grace. You are God. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever places their life faith in him will be his children. May we be a children that brings you glory and not provoking your anger. You are amazing. Thank you, Jesus.